Appropriate for the king, Jesus, to get uh, royal treatment like that, don't you? Let's, uh, those of you who love Jesus, let's stand and give him a standing ovation right now. Let's do that. To the Lord Jesus, our king. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's fun, isn't it? Can you imagine bursting into heaven one day and Jesus getting the honor he deserves? I think there are going to be some trumpets there. That's what I think. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew. Remain standing. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And our text is a hard one. And uh, this is the way it is sometimes. The king gives us some straight talk. And this one is a hard text, a hard saying of Jesus, but one that we are eager to hear. It's from Matthew and chapter 5 and verses 38 through 42. Let's read the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word and we quiet our hearts before it now. This morning, as a church, you are our king and uh, you are our confidence and you are our foundation and you are great love and and uh, the one in whom we delight the one in whom we the one we praise and the one we adore and and we hear your sayings when they're hard then we're humbled and we're quieted as we listen to them today i pray that you'd quiet our hearts as we sit at your feet and as we consider what you said and what you continue to say to the church today in jesus name we pray amen be seated please It's not my job as a pastor to uh, spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes on a Sunday morning explaining away the hard sayings of Jesus or making the commands of Jesus uh, no longer hard. It's just good for us to hear what Jesus has to say and for the weight of what he has to say to kind of influence our lives, to influence our lives profoundly. Perhaps you've heard the story of Dirk Willems, who was a man who, like us, he believed that you weren't to be baptized until after you were saved. Even though it was the law of the land to baptize infants and to record their births and baptize them or to sprinkle them, he believed that he would be baptized, he should be baptized after his conversion, as we believe the Bible teaches, and he practiced it in his home. Well, there was a time when that wasn't just kind of a light matter. That was something for which you would be imprisoned, and he was imprisoned for that. While he was in prison, he had opportunity to escape, and he tied together some cords, and he escaped out the window in the winter time, and he made his way across the ice. He was a person who took the commands of Christ so seriously, and he had been, he had been incarcerated so long that he was light because of being starved. The ones that were pursuing him broke through the ice, and a man broke through the ice and seeing a man was about to drown, Dirk Willems turned around and went back, and he rescued the man, who then turned him over to his captors. And in the year 1569, in May 16th of 1569, Dirk Willems was burned at the stake in his hometown because even though he had escaped, 
He returned to rescue the person who was drowning. It's an interesting story, isn't it? How serious are you about the commands of Christ? How, serious do you, how seriously do you take the things that Jesus says to you? That's a good question. How serious are you about a passage like this, where Jesus has said what he says here, when following Christ gets hard, or are you willing to suffer, or are you willing to die? Good questions. Is this hard for anybody but me? When you read a passage like this, is anybody else conflicted a little bit by reading this? Is it, just, is it easy for you to dismiss something like this? My, uh, my memory goes back to a little joke, a little joke I used to hear all the time about the Quaker, who of course was a pacifist, but he had a cow that kicked all the time. And so he had trouble with the cow and he would get angry. And one time they say he addressed his cow and said, Thou knowest that I will not harm thee, but if thou kickest again, I will sell thee to the Baptist. (laughs) We all know that Baptists are not pacifists, but these are hard sayings. My my friend Bobby Yoder was a pacifist and an Amishman and a good Christian man. He knew the Lord. He and I didn't see eye to eye on this, but I respected what he thought, and we talked about it often. And uh, you would, I would ask him those hard questions like, what about Romans 13? And what if somebody broke into your house at night and they were going to do harm to your wife or children? You know, the things that you would normally uh, frustrate a pacifist with, you know. And he was gracious with me. One day I was going out to the barn. We were getting some milk. And he was going to give me a big jar of milk. And we were going out to the barn. And, and I got out towards the barn. And all of a sudden his dog lunged at me. He was tied on this rope. And his dog lunged at me. And almost bit me, and I kind of stepped back in shock. And Bobby said, you need to be really careful. That dog will bite. I was like, that's the kind of dog I would have if I was a pacifist too. <laughs> how, how, very da- how very dangerous one. you have any cows in your herd that kick and make you want to get violent with them or sell them to the Baptist or anything? My boy Kyle, my oldest, was working for a dairy farmer in our church back in Fremont, and he had one cow in the herd that was kicking all the time, just gave him all kinds of trouble. And the dairy farmer, because they're valuable animals, you know, the dairy farmer gave him all kinds of techniques and things to get the cow to give milk, and he'd, he'd, she'd knock off her apparatus and so forth. And, and the dairy farmer said, Kyle, if you need to, we have a taser. It's a, pro, it's a cattle prod, and it amounts to a taser. If you need to use that, you can. And Kyle was angry with the cow one day and decided he'd had enough, and he's trying to finish up the milking. And so he laid the taser to the cow, and he said the cow just bellered and looked at him and lunged and died. So he killed, he killed the cow with the taser. <laughs> You're laughing, and that's disturbing to me. Um, and and uh, so the dairy farmer comes out, like they're pretty valuable animals, and you know, he says, what happened? And he said, well, he... He was wooden, quit kicking, and you said I could use the taser, and I, I killed him. So the guy says, well, go get the bobcat because you need to go take care of the cat. And Kyle says he remembers going and, you know, taking this big animal and burying it because he killed it. You have any cows in your herd that kick from time to time and you want to retaliate? Well, I think we all have that in our lives. Jesus 
says something interesting here, referring back, this is the fifth of six different times that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you have heard that it's been said by those of old or to those of old, but I say to you, this is the fifth of six times he uses this formula. And in this case, he goes back to something that's repeated at least three times in the Old Testament, in the law, in the Mosaic law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Today we want to ask the question, what did he mean? What does the Bible mean by an eye for an eye? and a tooth for a tooth. What did the Old Testament mean by that? And what was Jesus saying to them? And then after this, what Jesus does is he gives four examples of what he says. In other words, you've heard it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And essentially Jesus is saying to them, and you're a little too eager to poke out people's eyes and pull their teeth. Um, I say to you, and then he says four different things. Notice what they are. Verse 39, I tell you, resist not an evil person. And he gives four examples. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your coat also. That's number two. Number three, if a person compels you to go a mile, go with him too. <coughs> and then number four, give to him who asks you. Somebody asked to borrow, give to him. Very interesting things. Would you agree these are hard sayings? Anybody? Would you agree these are hard sayings? If I were to slap you in the face after church. Would you just meekly turn the other cheek? I know some of you would not do that. You would sell me to the Baptist down the road is what you would What? I'm not going to slap anybody. Don't worry. I'm perfectly harmless. What did the law mean? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's talk about what it, what it, what it didn't mean. You understand... The idea in the law there was that this was given so that, and this would be similar to the other laws that we've talked about, that Jesus is talking about, was referring to, they would keep people from an excessive retribution. In other words, the punishment should fit the crime. And this was a civil law that was exercised by the state and not by individuals. Individuals didn't have the right for personal retribution. They, in other words, the Old Testament law did not teach that if somebody puts out your eye, you can go put out their eye. The Old Testament law didn't teach that. The Old Testament law said civil authorities have the right to punish in kind in, when there's an infraction of the law. And so it can't go beyond if you put somebody's eye out. You can't shoot somebody for putting your eye out. You, you, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So the punishment should fit the crime. I don't think that verse 39 Though Jesus says, resist not evil, uh, is a prohibition against defending the weak because you have examples of that in the Bible where the weak are defended and words from the mouth of Jesus himself that you have to bind the strong man if you're going to spoil his house. I don't think this is a prohibition against fleeing for safety because Jesus himself, his family fled for safety and there were times in his ministry that Jesus fled for safety because it wasn't his time to die yet. I don't think this is a prohibition against government using lethal force because governments that God ordained, namely Israel's government, had the right to use lethal force. And this is carried into the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13, it reminds you of the passage that says, he bears not the sword in vain. Well, a sword isn't something that a person carries for show. A sword is a weapon that a person uses for lethal force. And the, and the scriptures don't teach that governments cannot use lethal force. The scriptures do teach that governments are accountable to God for the lethal force that they use. I don't think this is a prohibition against capital punishment or certainly against law enforcement. I don't think you think that either, especially the law enforcement part. If somebody 
breaks into your house and steals something, you're probably going to dial 911 and you're going to ask to have a minister of righteousness come and take a, and file a report and you're going to try to find the person who stole your stuff and hold him accountable for that. And the Bible doesn't say that's wrong and Jesus isn't saying that that's wrong. I think what it is is a warning against personal vengeance and the exercise of selfishness using an Old Testament civil law as a cover for you to take personal vengeance or to be selfish. I'm going to gouge out his eye and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. I am going to pull out his two. I'm going to exact everything personally that the law allows me to exact or even go beyond that in personal retribution. Jesus is saying that his followers are not to take personal Retribution. What was Jesus teaching his disciples in these four examples? I think they're helpful and they're instructive. Let's, let's look at these four examples. In a way, we'll state them a little differently. Um, let's just say the four things he says to do in a given situation. One, he says, turn the other cheek when you're insulted or assaulted. Turn the other cheek. He says, give your coat to somebody who asked for your shirt. That's kind of what he's saying. If somebody asked for your tunic, give him your cloak, meaning if you ask for your shirt, Give him your coat. It's kind of over the top, isn't it? He also says this, go two miles when you're forced to go one. Of course, you probably have heard the story that, you're, that this was from Persian government. had been carried over to the Roman government and in Palestine. They were under the occupation of the Romans. And so it wouldn't be uncommon at all for a Roman soldier to be able to say, legally, you have to carry my stuff for a mile. And I imagine that stuff would be, he'd probably be going in a different direction than you and the stuff would be heavy. It would not be something you would like. They bitterly resented this kind of a thing. But Jesus goes beyond that. He says, if somebody forces you to go a mile, just go two with them. So these are hard sayings, and he's speaking into the face of people who would bitterly resent these things. This whole matter of being slapped in the face, being struck in the face was an insult in a culture where honor was a very important thing. Jesus is really saying something very controversial here. And the fourth thing is he's saying if somebody wants to borrow from you, give them stuff. Can you just hear? Are you kidding? I worked hard for this, and that guy was lazy. He just watched television all day. Why should I give him the stuff I worked for? That's a good question, isn't it? And you, you, you can think of all kinds of different rationalizations. What did Jesus mean by these things? Let's talk about that. All four of these things are matters of honor. And there were things that were serious offenses, and there were legal consequences attached to them, and there were things that we that when people suffered these things they were deeply resented so it's like when a speaker speaks like this the crowd gets really quiet this happens here every once in a while i could bring up a couple issues right now and you would get very quiet because those would be controversial issues and pastors like me don't have the sense to stay off of those things from time to time as a matter of fact i think we have a responsibility to beyond those things jesus certainly did So he directly looks at these people and he directly goes in, gives four examples that are highly controversial. Turn the other cheek when you've been insulted. Have you ever, how many of you, just take a little uh, vote here, how many of you have been physically assaulted? Raise your hand. I mean, if you don't mind saying, raise your hand. All right, physically assaulted. I have. It's happened to me a number of times. Mostly when I was smaller. I suppose it could still happen, but. When I was young, I, it just happened a lot. I know, you're, I know what you're thinking. There might have been reasons, but it just, it just did. So I, I know what it feels like to have your tooth loosened by somebody hitting your jaw. So my jaw today when I eat pizza, which is probably a sign I shouldn't eat much pizza, 
will always pop when I bite into pizza because I've been beat in the face. I, I don't want you to feel bad for me. I feel like that God has taken me through a learning process on this, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. I, I know what it's like to be humiliated in front of my peers by being hit repeatedly in the face or other places. This is a, an incredibly humiliating thing to endure. Jesus is going to go right to this and says, if somebody strikes you, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. That's interesting. Um, I, I believe in my... God prompted me as a young man to go back to the people, the ones I could find, who abused me as a child, and I haven't been able to find many of them, but a few I will never forget, and looked one guy up in particular, and I'll tell you that story if you ask me sometime, went to his home, knocked on his door, met his wife, sat on his couch, talked to him, in order to give him the gospel, in order to let him know that I forgave him, because I think it was what Jesus said to do, and because I felt like it would be good for me to do that, I would be less likely to be bitter against him. And in this way, I would be acknowledging that God allowed this to happen for my good. And I, and I found out that he had made a, a profession of faith. But it frees you from bitterness, and it affirms that God is using the injury in your life. But often it's not you know insults like that that we have to deal with, but just like Little common daily irritations. We have two showers in our house. Mine is in the basement. I get banished to the basement. So I go down there. I prefer it, actually. I go down there every once in a while, and I usually get up early, and I have the shower. You know, I have the hot water to myself, and I don't have to share it with anybody else. Once the girls start using the hot water, it's just not pretty at all. Same with the electricity. They have appliances you would not believe, and they can short-circuit anybody's wiring with that of all the appliances, and uh, got a witness on that. And uh, I was down there one day, got going a little bit late, and I'm going to have to ask my, whoever this was. I'm really not sure who it was. I got down there a little bit late. I'm in the shower, and my shower went cold. I love a hot shower, don't you? Don't you, seriously? I mean, I just like, oh, that's a luxury. On the back of your neck, just that's a, one of the two of my favorite parts of the day when I go to bed at night, and the other one's when I'm taking a nice hot shower. You probably don't want to know all this personal stuff. And I, I just love a good hot shower. So I'm in the middle of a good hot shower, just enjoying that. All of a sudden, it goes cold. I'm like, oh. So I couldn't they have, like, paid attention that the shower was going and just waited a little bit until I finished. And I had this evil thought. Matter of fact, none of them know this. And I was thinking about not saying this, but I'm just going to ask for my family to love me and just let me use this illustration. I had this evil thought, and it was, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand here in the shower, and I'm just going to turn it on and off. So they, you know, alternately freeze and scald. Because if I can't have a hot shower, nobody else should be able to have a hot shower either. I'll let you guess whether or not I did that. But I'm like, if I'm writing this message, I'm like, you know, that's exactly what Jesus says not to do. Don't think of creative ways to manipulate people for your own personal uh, things don't do that. That's not what I want my followers to do. I want them. So I'm like, now that I've said that, I'll probably have to take more cold showers. But, but I, I think maybe that sometimes the daily stuff is like that. He said, give your coat to someone who sues you for your shirt. Now we don't generally like to have our clothes messed with. Am I right? This may be true with men and women. I'm, I wonder if it's not more true with girls. But I'm just saying. I don't know. You know, you just don't generally like to have your clothes messed with. 
Some, especially if you're in a culture where you don't have a closet full of clothes, you have a few changes of clothing, that's kind of tied to your net worth as your clothes. Remember about Jesus, they took his clothing and they gambled for it. It was a serious matter. And there were legal provisions that kept somebody from taking your coat from you, um, you know, in earnest, because that could mean you would freeze to death. This was a serious matter to take somebody's coat. Jesus is saying, if somebody sues you for your shirt, I want you to go over the top. I want you to be willing to give them your coat when they sue you for your shirt. It's interesting. What Jesus said, I mean, these are just, you have to admire him for going after these kinds of things. I heard, and then the, the, notice the third one, go two miles when you're forced to go one. Uh, so imagine you're a, a young boy and you're headed home and you can practically smell supper on the stove and you're looking forward to what you're going to do. And you hear this gravelly voice, you kid, over here. You're like, oh, no. Now he's, of course, going to go the exact opposite. He's going to go the opposite way of your home. So you're going to go along. You're going to be really late. And, you're gonna, and he's a big, strong soldier. And you're a young boy. And you've got to carry this. And you're going to tell your dad when you get home. And your mom and dad are going to hate those people for this. And when you go one mile, you're now a mile further away from home. And Jesus is saying, here's what I want my disciples to do. Once they've asked you to go a mile, then I want you to go another mile, like a bonus mile. That's what Jesus says. It's like, are you serious? Are you serious? And then he says, by the way, none of us like to have our clothes messed with. None of us like to be inconvenienced, uncomfortable, distracted from what we were planning to do. Jesus is saying, I want you to be prepared to step away from what you were planning to do, that's what I might call you to do as my disciple. I heard once of a pastor who had a dream, and in his dream, he had a special visitor in his home. In, in the dream, the visitor that came to his home was Jesus. It was a little simple dream. He said they had dinner, and they sat at the table, and like they always do, but Jesus was there. And after dinner was over, Jesus went over and he played with the kids on the floor. And after he played with the kids on the floor, he said the pastor sat there in the dream and he thought to himself, it's been a while since I played with the kids on the floor. I feel kind of convicted about this. And then Jesus went for a walk. And the pastor read the paper while Jesus went for a walk. And when he came back, he said to him, have you met your neighbors, the new Korean people on the street? He said, I know their names. He said their names. And the pastor thought, I knew there were new people on the street, and I knew they were different, but I didn't know their names, and he felt convicted. He said, Jesus said to his wife, that was a delicious meal. Thank you so much for working so hard to serve us. And he thought to himself, I think it was about 1948 when I did that last. And he said when he woke up, he was under a great burden of conviction because Jesus had just quietly visited his house, and he'd just been Jesus. And I think rather than dialing in on all the particulars here, I think Jesus is just wanting to lay a burden on us as a disciple. And he wants, us to say, he wants to say, are you my followers? Are you my disciples? Am I your Lord? Can I ask some hard things of you? Would you be willing to go above and beyond, over the top for me? I think this is the weight he wants to put upon us. And then he says, give to someone who asks to borrow from you. Give to someone who has to borrow. A person says borrow, and you could say, yeah, you could charge interest, or you could loan, and you could demand it back, and you could have them at your, dis- have them at your disposal, and 
But he says, if you have something, just, just give it. I was uh, speaking up at camp, and a woman told me that she goes to the Tigers. She and her family go to the Tigers games, and around the Comerica Park are beggars. And they're always asking for stuff. I said, I love Detroit. You can go to the Tigers game for five bucks. You can park for five bucks. If you eat at home, it's a cheap meal, a cheap night, you know. She says, yeah, but there's always people asking you for money on the streets. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of want to try to get in there and out without people asking you for money. She says, you know what my husband and I do? She says, we, we go to McDonald's and we get gift cards for a meal and we put the gospel on the gift card and we always take them with us. And then when we, wa- we watch for people that need something and we give them these cards. And when she told me that, I thought, that just has the ring of truth to it. I imagine that that's pleasing to the Lord. Something about giving to people who ask of you is a Christ-like thing. I I don't want to be, I hope I'm not going to offend your sensibilities, but this week I was thinking about the first black person that I ever personally met as a boy. And my dad was uh, supporting his uh, ministry habit with being a custodian at at a Catholic school. And I would go with him and horse around. And one day I said to my dad, I want to go get this little toy down at the dime store. It was a thing that you would squeeze like this, and a little guy would be like a trapeze. You'd squeeze it, and he'd flip around, you know. I wanted to have that. And I said to my dad, could I work and have a job, and, and could I go buy that? And my dad said, yeah, but you've got to go down there yourself. You don't work. I'll give you the money. You've got to go down there yourself. And I thought, man, I don't want to do that. I want him to take me because it, it involves walking through an area where there are lots of black people. And I was scared about black people because I never was around black people. So I didn't want to say that to my dad, but I thought that would be a scary thing to do. But I decided I really wanted that toy, so I walked, you know, kind of briskly through this neighborhood looking around. And when I got to the drugstore, the girl that waited on me was a white girl. The girl that waited on me, she kind of like was distracted because her boyfriend was there, and she took my money and gave me the thing and didn't really kind of look at me and I took my stuff, and I walked back through the neighborhood kind of quickly. It was starting to get dark. When I got back to my dad, I showed him what I had. And my dad is very careful with his money. He's very frugal. He wants me to be really careful with my money. He says, I want to see your change. So I gave him the change, and my dad said, they shortchanged you by a dime. I need you to go back and get that money. And I was like really proud. I didn't want to tell my dad, are you serious? We'll go through the neighborhood I'm unfamiliar with it in the dark for a dime? Couldn't we just call it even? You know, I'm like, do I have to? And then to confront an older person, my dad says, I want you to do that. You go back. So I walk back. And when I get there, her boyfriend is there, and she doesn't give me the time of day. Hey, kid, you know, I gave you the right money. Just, you know, get out. And then her boyfriend, he's got a deeper voice and a big barrel chest. He says, hey, kid, didn't you hear what she said? She said, get out of here. Now scram. So I'm scared, and I don't know what to do, and I'm a dime short, and i got to go back and face my dad, and my dad's... Is his and I'm having this dime, and I'm walking through this neighborhood, and I'm crying, and I'm trembling. And there's this little store. I don't know what made me do it, but I just decided to go in this store. I walk up the steps. I go in this store. And there's an elderly woman with a huge smile on her face. looks kind of like Aunt Jemima to me. And she's sitting in the back of the store, and she says, what you want, honey? And I told her the whole story. You know me. I just like plop. You know, all it comes out. I'm like my dad. And he's like, well, I want to send him money. And the guy yelled at me. I was like, I'm scared. You know, I left the part about the neighborhood out. And I and she, I never forget the warmth on her face and her big eyes pulling with tears. She said, Well, sweetheart, I can give you a dime. Don't you worry about this. 
Come over here. She opens up her the uh, drawer, reaches in. She gives me a dime. She says, let me give you a hug. She hugs me. And I walked out of there. I'm pretty sure I will see that lady again. I'm pretty sure she knew Jesus. And I was thinking about this little thing, this powerful thing. Jesus says, when somebody asks something, give them, give them something. They may remember that little gift as long as they live. Jesus is so admirable, isn't he? Jesus is so beautiful. His teaching is so beautiful. It's so hard, but it's so beautiful. You know, the problem is a lot of people who follow Jesus, who say they follow Jesus, just really don't follow Jesus. A lot of people who say they're Christians just don't act Christian. A lot of us, a lot of times, who would certainly want to be identified as Christian people, don't do the things that Jesus said he wants Christian people to do. And this is a, this is a heavy one for us to consider. I think what he's just saying in these four examples is he wants our love and our discipleship to go beyond, to be over the top. What would happen if we did that? Think of this little guy. He's walking the, the soldier for a mile. He's just doing what he's required to do. If he doesn't do it, the guy can hurt him. It, it, if he witnesses in the first mile, it won't be nearly as effective as if he witnesses in the second mile. Then the soldier's like, why are you doing this? What makes this kid want to go two miles? Suddenly his defenses are down. And this is what, maybe this is one of the reasons why our evangelism isn't as effective as it could be. Because we're, we refuse to go over the top. We just kind of blurt out our message to people and we expect them to come and tithe. Instead of saying to them, let me serve you. Let me be like Jesus said his followers are. You may have noticed in reading that influencers in the world are over-the-top kinds of people. They go beyond what you would expect. And in four different ways, Jesus is just saying, if you're going to be one of my followers, I want you to go above and beyond what anybody would ever expect you to do. Kind of exciting when you think about it. Reminds me a lot of a tract my dad always would give me when I was a boy to use called Holy Joe. Remember this track? It was cool because it was a comic book track. And this guy got saved. He was a GI. And he got saved. And he started witnessing to his friends. Or to his, they weren't his friends, you know, his comrades, whatever. And, and I remember the part in the little comic. I looked this up online. You can do it too. Look up Holy Joe and you, you can read it. I remember the one part of the story is he, he witnesses to the guys. They go out drinking at night. And when they come in, he's praying for them. He's kneeling down by the end of his bunk, and he's praying for all of his buddies. And they say, we're going to fix him. And they pelt him with combat boots. And in the morning when they get up, they're all lined up there because he stayed up all night, and he shined those combat boots. As a boy, that story appealed to me. And I think that's because that story is a reflection of the beauty of who Jesus is and what Jesus is saying in a text like this. If you want to be my followers, you're the kind of people that stay up in the night and you shine the shoes of your enemies and see what happens as a result of that. Paul was certainly this way. I love it where Paul said, I will most gladly therefore rather spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And who is the greatest example? that you've ever heard of, someone 
who was willing to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. It's the one that we came here today to worship. It's the one that we came here today to sing about. It's the one our lives depend on, our Savior, our beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this earth to die for people who would spit in his face and who would hate him. Don't you love him for that? Don't you want to follow him? Don't you want to do what he said? I think so. Let's sing together number 489.